We had a bit of a problem with the, uh, with the uh, handless mic. We are continuing our series called Alive, and last week we talked about hearing the Word of God. Today we're talking about believing the Word of God. Back in 1703, there's a man by the name of John Wesley. He was born to a good Christian home. His mother, her name was Susanna, one of the great heroines, I would say, in the faith. She taught all of her family to love God and to serve him. And uh, John Wesley was, was a, really a, a child of real no account. He didn't really do anything great as a child, but he, he did develop a great love for God. And as we watch him grow up, he uh, decides that he wants to have a, a structured Christian life. And so he develops some rules for him, for, for him and for all who are interested to live by. And he, uh, he's on fire for God, but he's finding that things just aren't happening. So he decides that he's going to double down, work harder, keeping his list of rules. And the rules are all about, uh, about how, to, how to follow God, how to love God. He goes to America, and he preaches to the aboriginals of North America, but he finds that he's not really having a whole lot of success. Finally, he, he realizes that he's not getting anywhere, and he decides to get back on a boat and go back to England, defeated and feeling somewhat alone. God, where were you in all of this? When he's on the boat, he meets some people that call themselves Moravians. We know them as the Moravian Brethren. And these people have a very vibrant relationship with God. And so he engages, engages them in conversation and gets to know them, listens to their story. And it's not long before, rather than doing all the talking, he's sitting there listening. And these Moravian brethren tell him what he needs to do to have a relationship with God. It's not long before he puts his faith fully in Christ. Whereas before, Christianity was all head knowledge. Now suddenly it is heart knowledge. By faith, he accepts Christ. Now he's on fire. He wants everybody to know about it. And he starts sharing his rules of the Christian life. And this is where we get the term Methodism from, because there's a method to this walk with God. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a moment. But he goes now in the power of the Holy Spirit, introducing people to Jesus Christ, recognizing that what needs to happen is that people actually have to put their faith in Jesus. Now, if you look at the history of this man, he's really probably one of the greatest Christians, right up there with the Apostle Paul. Um, we, we look at his life and we are amazed at, at the work that he did. They, they, they say, they estimate that he's pro he probably led uh, over a million people to Christ in his lifetime. He preached probably 40,000 40, sermons we're talking about preaching maybe two or three times every single day. He traveled over a quarter of a million miles going back and forth across the land of England. Absolutely staggering when you consider that he did it all on horseback and by foot. 
Well, he traveled on his horse. He would read book after book. I can't get into all the statistics now, but it's, it's absolutely staggering. And I think one of the things that really amazed me that maybe the most is that over the course of his ministry, they estimate that he gave away at least 30,000 pounds. Now, that's British money, in case you don't know what 30,000 pounds is. Sometimes I feel like I need to lose 30,000 pounds. But anyway, um, we're talking about money here. If you do the calculation, translating or converting 30,000 pounds in 1750, 1760 into Canadian dollars in 2018, we're talking almost 10, $10 million dollars absolutely staggering amount of money that he personally gave away. People would give him money, he would pass it on, give it to the poor, give it to the needy, give it to whoever was in need. An absolutely staggering amount of money. An amazing Christian man. A man who put his faith in Christ. A man who became truly alive. When he decided he was going to Look for the will of God and then do it. That's really what we're talking about today. Coming fully alive and becoming part of God's solution to a broken and hurting world. This is when we become fully alive. And anybody who goes on a missions trip with us, you experience what it means to be used by God. And you come alive and, and man, you want to go on more than just one missions trip. Because suddenly you discover what it means to be used by God to make a difference in somebody's life. And by the way, you don't have to go on a missions trip. You can be used by God right where you live, right where you work, right in your own family. They say that because of John Wesley's ministry, because of his preaching, because of his faithfulness in preaching the gospel, that he absolutely revolutionized his country. Back in the early 1700s, the population of of Britain, I'm told, I have to maybe do a bit more research on it, but this is what I'm told, there's 5 million people. And of the 5 million people that lived in Britain at that time, 4 million people lived in extreme poverty. Now get that. There was the filthy rich and then the filthy poor. And we're talking four-fifths are filthy poor. The rest are extremely wealthy. Here's a historian in 1962 who was doing some research on, on the history of, of England, the history of Britain. The guy's name is Eli Halevi. He theorized this. He said that because of the preaching of John Wesley, and this guy, by the way, is not a Christian, He's no Christian axe to grind. He's got no Christian uh, ulterior motive. He's just looking at the facts. He said it was because of the preaching of John Wesley that a new class of people emerged in Britain. And we call them the middle class, the class between filthy rich and filthy poor. And he says that this middle class of people developed because of the work and the ministry of John Wesley. People's lives were radically transformed after they became Christians, after they put their faith in Jesus Christ, after they started listening to what God wants you to do and actually start doing what God wants them to do. And here's how. There's four steps that are outlined here. These four main ways that 
the social and economic status of, of England changed? First of all, the people that John is preaching to are people who uh, are not only are they in extreme poverty, but they are living extremely wicked and sinful lives. And by that I mean they are stoned, drunk, addicted. They are cheating on their wife. They're uh, abandoning their kids. They're not caring for their children. A lot of them don't work. They're, they're cheating, lying, stealing. The nation is in a terrible state. John Wesley comes along. He preaches the gospel. People put their faith in Christ. And suddenly people get rid of their bad habits. They start living, secondly, they start living a holy life. And by holy living, we're talking about a life where you now start taking care of your kids, you start training your kids the difference between right and wrong. You start taking care of your wife. You start being faithful to your wife or your husband. You start developing and growing and strengthening the family unit. Start going to church. Start doing the things that God wants you to do. At our church, we call it moment-by-moment holiness. Asking ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? And then doing that thing. This is what was happening. Third, at the time when John was preaching, very few people would have been literate. Very few people could actually read and write. We take it for granted. But in John's day, very few people would read or write but now because they're coming faithfully to church every Sunday and because they're Protestants and they believe that everybody should have a Bible and learn to read it, people are now learning how to read. And because they're learning how to read, it means that they now have an advantage that other people don't have. Let me just show you a picture quickly of John Wesley. You may have heard his name. It's, it's a very, very common combination of, of names, John Wesley. Because John Wesley was faithfully preaching and teaching people to hear the word of God and do what it says, it meant that their lives were transformed. They became fully alive. These people that were learning how to read became what we call upwardly mobile. In other words, they were able to change their station in life. Life got better because... They learned to read the Bible. And the interesting thing, there's a fourth thing that we don't often talk about. But it, the historian says that, that these Methodists developed a whole new view of money and that they were actually enabled to profit from technological advances. And so you'd find many businessmen who were actually solid Christian people. Max Weber, a famous anthropologist back a little over 100 years ago wrote a book about, about the effect of, of Protestant Christianity on the world. And he said there's a, there is an actual common denominator between nations that are predominantly Protestant. And it's this, they're prosperous. And it's because these Christians, these so-called Protestants, they believe that whatever they do, they have to do it for the glory of God. And even though the, the, the officials aren't watching, the police aren't watching, they know God is watching them. And so they're honest and diligent and conscientious. And whatever they're doing, they're doing it for the glory of God. And so therefore, God is prospering them and blessing them. Folks, this is the power of faith in the life of the believer. 
It radically changes your life. It changes your attitude. It changes how you function. It changes how you think. Anybody who puts their faith in God is going to come alive, not just spiritually, but in every other way. So before I go any further, expounding on what I mean by that, let me just tell you a little about the story of faith. Jesus said, if you have this, just a little, little bit of this faith, the size of a mustard seed, Jesus says, you can move a mountain. And in Hebrews, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we discover in the New Testament that anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be given abundant life and eternal life. And so faith, as you, as you can see, is extremely important. But the problem is, is that most people don't really know what it is. And so let me just tell you the story. Faith actually, the story of faith begins in the Garden of Eden. God gives instructions to Adam and Eve. He says to them, don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. That's right. Simple. Look at that. There's no Ten Commandments given. There's no list of rules. There's no methodology given. There's only one instruction, and it's this. Don't eat the fruit. Get it? Got it. Now, you think, Adam and Eve, you've got the message, don't eat the fruit. Now, can I just ask you this question today? Do you think there's anything inherently evil about eating fruit? No, obviously not. There's nothing evil about fruit. Here's the problem. God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat that fruit. Now, all they had to do was believe God and do what he says. It's simple as that. Believe God, do what he says, and Adam and Eve, you're guaranteed a great life, a fantastic life, an eternity in the garden. Joy, happiness, peace, marital bliss, hallelujah for marital bliss. Your kids will all love each other. You can't even imagine that, can you? Your kids will love each other. Your kids will love you. Wow. And gardening will be a joy and a delight. The ground won't argue with you, and you won't be afraid of snakes. Life will be wonderful. Just believe God and do what he says. Satan comes along, you know the story, and he says to Adam and Eve, hey, how's it going? And Eve is, and Adam actually, he must have been right there at her side. She's willing to engage a talking snake. And the snake says to Eve and presumably to Adam as well, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? That you shouldn't eat that fruit? What's he doing? He's causing doubt. He wants Adam and Eve to doubt 
God's word. Can I tell you something? Nothing's changed after all these millennia. Satan is doing exactly the same thing today as he did in the Garden of Eden. He still wants you to doubt the word of God. He doesn't want you to believe it. He wants you to believe that there are exceptions to the word of God. You don't have to believe all of it. You don't have to do everything it says. In fact, you don't even have to pay attention to God's word. In fact, all you have to do is go to church on Sunday and you'll be fine. Wrong. Adam and Eve are listening to this nonsense. They're listening to the one that Jesus calls the father of lies. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve said, yeah, that's, that's true. He, God said, don't eat it. Don't even touch it. Oh, God did not say anything about touching the fruit. He just said, don't eat it. You see, that's what happens, folks. When we start playing around with the truth, start adding to it, taking away from it. The Bible says there's a curse upon anybody who adds to the word or tries to take away from it. And, and Satan says, you're not going to die, Adam and Eve. See, God's holding back on you. He doesn't want you to enjoy life. He doesn't want you to enjoy all the benefits of his creation. Satan tells an outright lie. Satan is telling Adam and Eve, you're not going to die. In fact, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be better. Haven't you believed that when you've given into temptation, thinking you're going to be better because you've fallen into temptation, because you have believed the lies of Satan, that things will be better, you'll be happier, you'll be, you'll be more fulfilled, you'll have joy. God says don't, Satan says do. Do whatever you want. But I can tell you this, Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit, you're going to be so happy because you're going to be just like God. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. Satan said, don't believe God. And Adam and Eve made a decision. Now, I want you to get this. This is so important this morning. Because whenever you make a decision not to believe God, whenever you make a decision to listen to the lies of Satan, what you've done now is you've made a choice to put your faith in Satan rather than in God. Did you get that this morning? And some of us here today, the truth be known, we have put our faith in the words of Satan and his temptations. We believe those lies. We have believed the world and its lies. No wonder God says friendship with the world is enmity with God. You believe the world, you believe yourself, your own reasoning, your own understanding. No wonder the writer of Proverbs says, says that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge God and he'll direct our paths. But you see, we get too smart for God. And we're going to tell God how to do his job. We're going to tell God how we can have a better life. And God, since you're not doing a good job giving me a good life, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to do it my own way, God. Move aside. 
And folks, that moment, and everybody here today who's lived for a few years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment you take life into your own hands, the minute that you decide I'm not doing things God's way anymore, that's the moment when things start falling apart. The wheels fall off the car and you're in trouble. If you want to be fully alive, then you have to learn, first of all, how to hear God. Adam and Eve heard God. They just decided they weren't going to believe God. They decided they were going to believe the father of lies. This morning, the Spirit of God is speaking to you. The Spirit of God is showing you, even as I'm speaking, the Spirit of God is showing you that your faith has not been in God and in God alone. Now, Some of you are sitting here today thinking, I'm not exactly sure what faith is. Well, let me just remind you, I've been saying it here quite frequently on a regular basis now for years. But I'm going to tell you again in case you didn't get this. Faith is believe God and do what he says. Would you say that with me? Believe it. Say it one more time. Now tell the person beside you. Now you know what faith is. Okay, look at me for a moment. Here's what you need to know. If you want to be fully alive, if you want to know that rich, abundant, satisfied life, no shame, no guilt, you can look at yourself in the morning and not hate yourself. You're going to have to learn what it means to believe God and do what he says. This is the beginning of life, of abundant life. And I'm going to tell you, it's the, the end of it is eternal life. God's calling us to believe him. Now, I'm going to tell you something this morning that might shock you. When it comes to eternal life, when it comes to life, abundant life, nothing has changed from the Garden of Eden to now. God expected Adam and Eve to believe him and do what he says, and guess what? We, as, we who are called Christians are called to do exactly the same thing, to believe God and do what he says. Today, in 2018, God calls us to put our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ, and do what Jesus says. You see, nothing's changed. We can go back into the Old Testament, if you like, and look at the life of Noah. God said to Noah, Noah, build a boat, because a storm is coming. And Noah said, what's that? I don't know what a storm is. I've never seen rain before. And God says, never mind, it's going to come. Water is going to fall from heaven. And the Bible says there's been no rain up to this point. God watered the earth from the springs below. Noah could have said, God, first of all, what you're saying is not scientifically possible. Don't you argue with God sometimes? Don't you tell God how to do his job? Don't you try to tell God what the facts are? God, you obviously are, you've been around for a long time. You're not in touch with the scientific realities of this world. But the Bible says Noah believed God, and he starts building a boat. He starts doing exactly what God says. God gives precise measurements for this boat. Remember, nobody's ever built a boat like this before. This isn't just a boat, man. This is an ocean liner. And then God says, and by the way, I want you to put two of every species in the boat. Yeah, and everybody gathered around looking at crazy, crazy Noah. Look at this guy, he's just not giving up. How many, like he's been at this for decades. He's not giving up. 
Why? Because he believed God and he's doing what God said. It's never been done before, but it doesn't matter to know because God said it and he believes it and he's going to do what God says. Mocked, laughed at, spit upon, who knows? And the day comes and all of a sudden, what's that? Was that sweat? No, there's actually drops of water falling out of the sky. Does anybody know what that is? It's an anomaly. It can't be. It can't be true. It's never happened before. Therefore, it can't be true. The rain falls, and Noah says, uh, I'm ready for a cruise. He's got his animals on the boat. He and his family get on the boat, and everybody else who has not believed who did not believe, you say, well, that doesn't sound fair. Why would God do that? Hey, God gave everybody a chance. The Bible says clearly that Noah was preaching to these people and telling them of the coming flood, but they weren't listening to it. They weren't interested in believing God and doing what God said. Look at Noah and his wife and his children were alive Because they heard the voice of God and they believed the voice of God. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. Because I'm guessing that if you're struggling right now in your life, there's a good chance that the struggles come from either not hearing God or hearing God and not doing what he says. This is why it's so critical that we read our Bible. And this is why we're trying to get everybody in our church to get through the scripture this year because we know the power of the word of God to transform your life. The word of God will transform you if you believe God and do what he says. Abraham believed God. And look what it says here. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now I want you to see something here, folks. (laughs) It doesn't say that Abraham came forward in church one Sunday, knelt down and said a sinner's prayer. It says simply that he believed the Lord and God counted that to him as righteousness. By the way, the way that you and I become Christians is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you've come from a different church tradition, perhaps a Roman Catholic background, then your understanding of salvation comes from believing in God through faith, but also doing good works. But I'm going to tell you right now that that is not biblical. The Bible tells us that we are saved, that we are righteous because we put our faith in God. We believe God. The righteousness that we have is actually from Christ. We put our faith in Jesus, and God gives us the righteousness of Christ. So here's what's going to happen someday. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I know that for sure. The second thing I know for sure is that when God looks at Alan Duncalf, God is going to see Jesus. And I say, phew, God's going to see Jesus because I put my faith in him. He said, well, what about good works? Does this mean I don't have to be good? I mean, I can go live like hell? No, no. The evidence that you have put your faith in Jesus is now you're living like him. You're starting to do the things that Jesus does. You're starting to think like Jesus, speak like Jesus, act like Jesus. 
This sounds like a song's about to break out. Let me ask you that question this morning. Have you put your faith in God? Do you believe him and are you doing what he says? You see, I got people coming to me all the time saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're, they're telling me, the pastor has been doing this for a lot of years, they're telling me what it means to be saved. And I'm going to tell you right now what it means to be saved. It means that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and now you are doing what Jesus wants you to do. That's the evidence that you put your faith in Jesus. If you're not doing what Jesus tells you to do in his word, folks, I have to then draw the assumption that you're probably not converted. You're probably not saved. The evidence that Abraham was righteous was that he was doing what God told him to do. God said, Abraham, I want you to pack up everything. I want you to leave your homeland and I want you to go somewhere else. And Abraham says, where would you like me to go? And God said, you'll see. And Abraham's thinking, what am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to tell my wife? Abraham quickly walks in, says to his wife, dear, pack up everything. We're leaving our hometown. Talk to you later. Just a minute, Abraham. Just a minute. What are you talking about? Abraham says, well, you're not going to believe this. God spoke to me. Sarah is thinking, oh, no, not again. God spoke to me, and God said that we're supposed to leave our homeland here, and we're supposed to go to the place he tells us to go. And Sarah says, and where might that be? And Abraham says, well, I frankly don't know. But we just got to get going. And Sarah did, to her credit. She also believed God and did what God said. And it's counted to them as righteousness. Has anybody ever heard of Joseph? Joseph believed God and did what God said. God wants us to live holy lives. Joseph is sold into slavery. And at this point, his brothers sold him into slavery. Can you believe that? And at this point, Joseph could have said, hey, you know what? God didn't look out for me. God didn't care about me, so I'm abandoning God. I hear that all the time from people. People say to me, you know what? God, God wasn't there for me when I needed him, and so therefore I gave up on God since God gave up on me. Joseph was not like that. He was not so small-minded. Listen to this. Listen to this. He's sold into slavery. A free man sold into slavery. Gets to Egypt. He's... He's purchased, he's bought by a rich man by the name of Potiphar. He's in Potiphar's home. The wife takes shining to Joseph. That's one hot kid. Potiphar goes away for a while, and the wife tries to seduce Joseph. Hey, Joseph, come here. Joseph said, yes, ma'am. What do you want? Potiphar's wife starts walking towards him. I want you. Joseph makes a mad dash out of the house. Potiphar's wife says, now what am I going to do? I know. I'll accuse him of rape. And that's what happens. Potiphar comes home. Potiphar's wife says, he tried to rape me. Joseph goes to jail. Joseph, by this time, is saying, okay, God, what am I doing wrong? I'm trying to obey you. I'm trying to do what's right. I could, have, I could have been with her. But because I know it's not what you want, because I know it would bring shame on your name, God, 
why am I ending up in jail, in prison of all places? You see, Joseph continued to believe God and do what God wants him to do, even though it doesn't seem to make sense. It's not adding up. While he's in jail, he meets a few of the king's top servants. A long story, very long story, just long. It gives Joseph a name in Pharaoh's court so that on that day, Pharaoh has a crazy dream. Seven skinny cows eating seven fat cows and seven skinny grains of wheat eating seven fat grains of wheat. And what does this mean? And nobody can answer the question, but suddenly one of those, one of those two guys that is top servant in Pharaoh's court says, hey, I know somebody that can translate that for you, can interpret that. Pharaoh calls Joseph into his throne room. Now, just think about this for a moment. From slave to accused rapist to criminal, and now he's standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is asking him for his advice. And Joseph says, well, in fact, I can give you an interpretation of your dream, sir. It means that there's going to be seven years of a crazy abundance. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, oh, no, now what are we going to do? Joseph says, well, there's there's an easy solution to this problem, sir. Start gathering every bit of abundance from the first seven years, and we'll make it through the next seven years. Joseph says, says, sir, is there anything else? And Pharaoh says, yes, you're going to be second in command in this country. From accused rapist to criminal to second in command in the whole country. Can you imagine Potiphar, what he's thinking? <laughs> I'm in trouble, man. The Bible says that Joseph doesn't do anything about it. You know, we're tempted to give up on God when things don't go the way we think they should go. In fact, we find ourselves in circumstances and we think, where's God in all this? I thought I heard from God. I thought God wanted me to do this. And it seems that God doesn't hear me. God's not around. God's forgotten about me. And what's the point of being a Christian anyway? What we don't recognize is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are one of God's servants and you, God's got something special for you to do. And so there's Joseph's second in command. Now I want you to see something. Joseph believed God and did what God said and he, you could say, is fully alive. In fact, that guy standing on the hill, that's actually a modern-day Joseph. Joseph, you can imagine him saying, I won. But there's somebody else who believed God and did what God said. That's Pharaoh. We'll call him Pharaoh number one. Pharaoh believed Joseph and Joseph's God, and he did what God said. And because Pharaoh believed God and did what God said, Pharaoh and his people lived. And not just Pharaoh and his people, Joseph's family and the nations surrounding Egypt all lived because people believed God and did what he said. Listen to me, me, folks. When you and I 
understand this. It will revolutionize the way we live. When you begin to believe God's word, when you begin to do what God's word tells us to do, it changes everything. It changes even a nation. Ask John Wesley. Ask the historians who studied the life of John Wesley. Their nation was transformed because there was a man who believed God and did what he said. I'm telling you, folks, if you want a change in your marriage, if you want a change in your family, a change in your job, then it's time for you to stop doing what you want to do. It's time for you to stop believing in yourself and start believing in God. The world will tell you, believe in yourself, believe in yourself. But I'm telling you you today, what you got to do is you got to believe in God and do what he says. And I'm going to tell you what God tells us to do so often goes against what we want to do. I want to hold a grudge. I want to be angry. I don't want to forgive. I want to look out for number one. I want to take care of myself. I, 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 I. And Jesus comes along and says, no, you, you got to stop looking out for number one and start looking out for everybody else. You got to put others first. You got to treat others as you would like to be treated. You got to forgive so that you can be forgiven. Listen, every time you and I step up and do what God tells us to do, it's a game changer, folks. You begin to live the abundant life. If you are living in a terrible place right now, it's simply because you have forgotten about God. You believe the lies of Satan. You believe in the the lust of your own flesh. You believe the lies of this world. And God's calling you back to faith in him. He wants you to do what he's telling you to do because that's where the life is. It's not enough to come and sit and to watch Pastor Allen spit as he speaks. <laughs> it's not enough to come every Sunday and just sing a few songs and throw a few bucks in the offering plate. Folks, it's time for you and I to learn what it means to live according to this book, to start doing what God tells us to do. He's calling you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He's calling you to forgive, to forget, to move on. Man, when I was in Bible school, there was, uh, just starting out in Bible school, there was a whole uh, movement, if we're going to call it that. It was the movement of what we call the faith teachers. And I'm not going to mention names this morning, but here's the thing. These, uh, these preachers, these teachers, they were on television. They were, it was mainstream. And they were saying that you, you could actually grow your faith so that you have almost what seems like magic power. Let me explain what I mean by that. They never called it magic power because that's, that's wicked. But in essence, that's what they were saying. They're saying if you have enough faith in you, you can have whatever you want. You could speak a car into existence. That's right. That's what some preachers were preaching. If you, want a, if you want a Mercedes-Benz, you can speak it into existence. Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes-Benz. I got a lot of faith, but I'm not seeing a Mercedes-Benz. But that's what they believe. In fact, they told you, put a picture of a Mercedes-Benz on your refrigerator, think about it, talk about it, and eventually it will materialize. I don't nonsense. It's not biblical at all. You can get what you want, do what you want, have what you want, if you just can learn how to have faith and become a faith Jedi master. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's utter nonsense. I'm going to tell you this morning what faith is. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Jesus says, you've got to have the faith of a little child. 
If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, look at this, folks. Listen to this. The faith that Jesus Christ is calling us to have is a faith that responds in obedience to God's commands. And if you respond in obedience to, to Christ's commands, folks, that's what we call faith, a faith that changes everything. When we moved into this building, folks, I'm telling you, we couldn't afford to move into this building. We couldn't afford to buy this building. We had nothing. We had no money. But God spoke to us and said, this is the building I want you to buy. And I said, God, but with what money? And God said, that's just money. Don't worry about it. And so what happens? We began to pray. We began to seek the face of God. God, show us how we're going to do this, how we're going to advance. And God laid it on our hearts to ask Safeway for a donation of $400,000. And so we did. And Safeway said, yes, you can have $400,000 so that you can buy our building from us. first time I ever did anything like that. But you see, God said to do it. And we believed God. We did what he said, and God came through. Now listen, God wants to work in your life in exactly the same manner. He wants to do miracles in your life. He wants to use you to do miracles in the lives of the people around you. But folks, you're, you're going to have to do is you're going to have to learn how to know this word and to be skillful with this word. Every single person here can read the Bible. There's nobody here today that can't read the Bible. And if you can't read the Bible, someone was telling me I, I have a problem reading, Pastor. So what she said she did is she just simply listens to it on, on, on the internet. Audio Bible. Two thumbs up. But she's hearing the word of God. When you know the word of God, when the word of God is hidden in your heart, it begins to manifest itself. And God now has been, is able to work in you and through you in ways that you've never experienced before. The problem with so many of us is that we do not give God an opportunity to use us. We do not give God the opportunity to make us a blessing. And I'm going to tell you, folks, on that day, in that moment, when you decide, God, I am going to believe you and only do what you say, folks, it will be a game changer for you. You will be alive in a way that you've never been alive before. Last night at 1130 at night, I got a text from my dear brother, Delson in Burundi. Now, for whatever reason, he always knows when to text me when I'm falling asleep. And he texts me and he says, uh, Shalom, which is kind of humorous to me. A Kurundi-speaking, Burundian-speaking Jewish, uh, Jewish language, Shalom. And I said, hi, how are you? God bless you. God be with you. And he starts this conversation with me. He says, next week, Pastor, remember last year, Pastor, you were with us in May and and you felt God leading you to give $3,000 towards the development of the, uh, of the Village of Hope across town, Barumvia? I said, yes. He goes, well, Pastor, good news. We're opening it next week. The second Village of Hope. The second Village of Hope. And already they've got 40 kids that need what we can give them. And I said, while I was there looking at the property, I said to him, and Pastor Blake was there with me, I said, it'd be nice if we had 
across church here. I didn't mention this last night, but he mentioned it to me. He said, Pastor Allen, we want to plant a brand new cross church there at Morembia. I said, tell me what it costs, and I'm going to tell our church about it, and I'm sure that we'll be able to raise the funds for it. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, this whole thing is a faith venture. God called Dennis Weeb to go over to Burundi. He didn't know anybody there, but he believed God. He did what God said. He got there. He met Delson. Delson was told by God, go back to Burundi. God didn't give him any more instructions, kind of like Abraham. Delson said, God, what am I going to do when I get there? God said, just go. Delson goes there. He's just sort of waiting around for God to do something. And while he's there, someone says, hey, have you met this Canadian, this crazy Canadian, Dennis? Next thing you know, they, they make connection and they're friends. They become fast friends. Next thing you know, they're starting a village of hope in Buiza. And the rest is history, as they say. Delson believes God, does what God says, goes to Burundi. Dennis believes God, does what God says, goes to Burundi. They meet. They say, what does God want us to do? He wants us to establish an orphanage, a village of hope. They start a village of hope. Dennis, Dennis is going to church, but in that church, they don't really care about what he's doing. His heart's broken. Doesn't know where to go, what to do. He comes to us. He says, God told me to come in and talk to you, Alan. We'd known each other for years. We hadn't been in touch for years. He says, God's telling me to come to your church. I said, well, you're welcome. He comes to our church and God speaks to my heart. He says, Alan, get behind Burundi because you're going to be amazed at the things I want to do there and God's going to use Cross Church. And today, you know the story. There's over 40 cross churches that our church is being able to support. Delson told me that never in the history of that group of fellowship of churches have they ever had so much peace, so much joy, and so much fruit. Now they have a church they want to plant in near the new village of hope. And more than that, they've got three other churches they want to plant. And it's possible, folks, because people like you, who say, God, I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to do what you want me to do. Would you stand with me, please? Can you just look at me for a moment? I, I, I want to speak to you, pastor to his flock. I know that right now some of you are struggling in your faith, some of you are this, this close to throwing it all in. And I'm telling you today, God is speaking to you. And he's telling you he loves you. He's not forgotten about you. God's calling you back to his heart. And this is what he wants you to know. He wants you to know he loves you, but he wants you to start believing him. Start trusting him. And start doing what he wants you to do. And you know what that is. God, you know exactly what it is. And even as I'm speaking, the spirit of God is speaking to you and your heart's beating a little faster. That's the spirit of God reminding you. It's time for you to start taking that step, those steps of faith. Believe God and do what he says. 
Father, I just want to commit this congregation to you right now, asking in Jesus' name that you would give them the grace and the strength to believe you, to stop listening to the lies of this world, to stop listening to the lies of Satan, to stop listening to the lies that are generated in our own selfish nature. Help us, we pray, O God, to believe you 100% and start doing what you say. God, thank you that your spirit is is alive and at work in every one of us. And we thank you, God, that we've been given your grace and strength to follow you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go believe God and do what he says.